grand opening night of Cinetopia. My name is Shelly. I am the program manager for the film, so we picked out some lovely movies for you guys. I hope you come back and see a bunch more. Uh, but enough about me. You guys don't want to know anything about me. <laughs> I'd like to introduce Bo Burnham, the writer and director of Eighth Grade. All right, Bo. What does Gucci mean? I don't know. I really don't. Um, it was something that she just said on set all the time. She would show up, and I'd be like, how you doing, LC? And she'd be like, Gucci. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> um, and then I started doing it back to her, because I, I knew it would embarrass her. And, um, and then it literally got so banal that it points like, it was like gaffers being like, is this Gucci or not? Um, <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, the videos were something we recorded uh, sort of at the end of the shoot, and I wanted her to have a sign-off that was hers, and I was like, oh, yeah, it should be Gucci. So she literally has the last word of the film. I, I, I have no idea what it means. Did she get any credit for that, or...? No, 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 no of course not. <laughs> um, so I kind of... I think the main thing that I wanted to understand about this movie is that you are a male, she is a female. Why did you choose to do a female lead in that sort of young eighth grade generation as opposed to picking a male because you can relate better to it since you wrote the movie? Yeah, right. Um, so like, it didn't really feel like a choice when I, when I made it. I mean, I didn't want to make something nostalgic. Um, I like nostalgic movies, but I wanted to talk about what it meant to be young now. And um, I didn't want to pollute it with my own experience, so it being a girl sort of forced me not to do that. But, but honestly, it was, right, it was like, I watched hundreds of videos of, of, of kids online talking about their own life, and the boys talked about Minecraft, and the girls talked about their souls. So it was like, <laughs> so it was sort of like, well, uh, you know. The boy version of this would just be like 90 minutes of Fortnite references or something. Uh, so at that age, the girls uh, run a little uh, deeper, but... Um, uh, yeah, but again, it just, yeah, it, it just, it, it, it made sense to me, and I didn't question it, but I was very aware that I was a man in charge of the story the, in, the entire time. So when you, you started to become famous in much, much younger years, um, I'm quite old, so I want to understand the, the way that the music played into this movie for you felt very, very strong in when, you know, the, the hot guy walks into the room, the bass drops in, um, and there's a scene where she's in the bathroom and it feels like horror music. Um, where, what kind of role did you play in picking those songs, and did, did the young lead, did she have anything to do with it too, since she's kind of into that? that generation of music? Yeah, um, well, um, I wanted there to be an electronic score because it was, uh, you know, it's an electronic movie, it's a digital movie. Um, and I, I'd written temp music, I wrote a full temp score for the movie, and it wasn't great, but it sounded in the world of what I was wanting to sound like, but it wasn't right. Um, and, I, and I had looked for composers and couldn't find one that made sense, then I found um, Anna Meredith, who composed the music for the film. She's a Scottish composer, classically trained, but does electronic music on the side, and just was everything I wanted, which is, I wanted electronic music, but I didn't want it to be cold and sort of aggro and masculine, which sort of a lot of electronic music can be. I wanted something, you know, human and warm and, and theatrical, and she makes really bold theatrical choices. Um, and it's sort of foreground music, you know, I wanted music that made her experience bigger, not smaller. You know, I wanted, I wanted 
to try to sink the audience's heart rate with hers and go, this isn't a little story about a little girl, this is a big story about something, you know, visceral happening to her. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would have composed the music if I hadn't found Anna, who is just like, what I would want to be if I was a genius at, at composition, which I'm, I'm not, I, like, I'm, 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 I, I can get by, but she's like, a, she's the real deal. When you were younger and you ordered McDonald's, did you order all the sauces too? I, 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 that was actually the, Erica and props actually, I showed up and she had ordered, I knew, I knew I wanted all the sauces in the script, of course, all the sauces, and I, you know, um, I don't have a favorite, but, she, but, but our prop, Erica actually ordered them in rainbow color, and that was like, when I saw that, I thought it was just so sad, that <laughs> uh, it was uh, really wonderful. Um, so I'm going to turn it to the audience in a couple of questions, but I just want to let anybody up on the balcony know that they have any questions to come down here because the microphones are down here. Um, are I just want to quickly shout out um, uh, our script super supervisor, Sam Evoy, is here, and she's an Ann Arbor local. I don't know where she is, so hell yeah. She's with her whole family. So we got a little, we got a little, uh, little Ann Arbor in the movie. Do we have any eighth graders in the audience? I, I would love for, for, do you have a question? Do <laughs> you have a question? Do you have a question? Uh, no, I, I, really, I think I'm homeschooled, so I don't know. Oh, okay. You yeah. still get it? What's it? How old are you? I'm 13. What's it like being 13, man? It's fine, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> uh, I don't have all the troubles as, um, other kids do, so, um, other kids might have, um, but I, yeah, I. Did you watch it with your, are your parents here? No, well, yeah, they are, but I'm watching it with my brother. Okay, so it wasn't, it wasn't too awkward. What about you, brother? Um, I, I mean, I'm almost 22, so. <laughs> Cool. What's your, what's your name? I'm Oren. Oh, this okay, brother. What's your name? <laughs> oh, my name is Ethan. Good to meet you, buddy. Good glad you're here. I'm glad. Be safe out there. <laughs> so my last question for you is, uh, tell me about the truth or dare scene. Um, it's obviously a very heavy scene for the movie. What made you decide to kind of put that in there where it feels like nothing really happened, but definitely something happened emotionally in, in her spirit and, um, you know, at the end, the young man driving the car kind of makes her feel bad and says he's doing a, f a favor for her. Um, how, how did you come about that? Yeah, I mean, sort of what you said is almost the exact reason, if there was a reason. I mean, again, the, the, the scenes are hopefully discovered organically, not like chosen thematically, but when you discover them, hopefully you treat them sensitively. But, you know, what you said of nothing happening to her, you know, it is, it felt important to portray a type of scene that on paper seems like nothing happened. You could, you could picture her describing the scene six months later and someone going, well, what, he sat in the back seat with you and touched your arm and you said no and he stopped, nothing happened. You know, but when you actually sit with her in real time and, and, and feel the moment with her, you feel the subjective truth of that scene, which is that it is horrible and emotionally violating, even though it might not qualify on paper to be criminal. So, um, yeah, it was important to portray a scene like that, it felt. Um, 
and we just try to approach it by being very open with the actors, and I'm very, very happy with the work they've done. Um, and it was also, you know, in talking to the kids, it was something that I had dealt with, but I didn't think was still being dealt with, which is like, you know, you get a lot of sex ed. You get a lot of ed about anatomy. Um, you learn a lot about how to, like, use a condom, and you, 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 you learn nothing about the actual dynamics of a relationship, what it means to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and to actually relate to somebody else, and to what, what is owed you, what... what so so that, that blows my mind, but I think that, you know, national conversation is changing that, I hope, um, so that kids aren't like Kayla getting to a situation for the first time and being confronted with new thing after new thing after new thing and having no idea where to orient herself. So, um, you know, I think as much as it's a failure of, of that boy in the moment, it's, it's, it's the culture, you know, failing both of them. Um, so, yeah, that was the idea. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to go to the audience for any questions. Go ahead and raise your hands. Let's go with this guy right here in the hat and the glasses. We will pick people that aren't in peppermint green shirts as well, right? It's been two in a row. <laughs> so uh, this is your directorial debut. I was wondering, uh, throughout your, like, uh, different, like, uh, projects, did you have anyone that, like, kind of, like, taught you a lot? Did I have someone who taught me a lot? Yeah, or, like, a... Like, um, inspiration, yeah, from, like, different projects that you've done. Um, a consistent inspiration? That, sorry, I'm not totally getting it. Sorry. Uh, uh, like, no, it's my fault. Like, in, in the last years, like, uh, that yeah. you were working on this project? Like, you were on, like, The Big Sick, Rough Night. Yeah. Like, um, and, like, Zach Stone, like... Did you oh, oh yeah, well, I mean, being on set, for sure, being on sets inspired me. I mean, uh, you know, my girlfriend that I've been with for six or seven years is uh, a writer-director, and so I was very inspired by her um, to do it. Um, and yeah, just being inspired really to collaborate. Um, you know, to stand up is very lonely and you do it by yourself. And I was very excited to work with other people and use their talents and call them my own. Uh, you know, but, but really, like, that was sort of the whole point of doing this. And it was, you know, it exceeded my expectations totally. So cool. Thank I, you. It, was, it was even having the creative process of being inspired by people. I was, I was tired of having to only look to myself for inspiration, you know. Cool. Thanks. So when you were writing, what pulled you to having like a single father for her? Yeah, so um, again, it's like, I don't like sit down and go like, oh, it should be a single father. It's just like, you know, I try to write it in the way it feels correct and then it just is that way. Now I can look back and go like, why was it like that? It's probably, probably probably because she was lacking a adult female presence when she was being written, you know what I mean? So it, it is a way for me to, truly, um, yeah. I felt like both of them, you know what I mean? I felt like a young, scared, nervous kid on the internet and an old, out-of-touch guy that had no idea what she was going through. Same. So I think it, it, it was probably subconsciously a way for me to sort of express my limitations in my perspective, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Awesome, thanks. Yeah. Right over here, Shelly. Um, so you talked about how, you know, you're obviously an adult male writing an eighth grade girl, but there's so many moments in the film that are like just these small, like, but very particular nuances about being an eighth grade girl to the point where I was like, do people know that this is true? Like, does everyone understand? Um, and I'm just curious about how you kind of removed or if there was a process for kind of removing whatever lens you were viewing to get that very raw, holistic picture of this experience that is not yours? Yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I tend to personally connect with, 
I tend to most deeply personally connect with art that I don't demographically align with. I, I tend to see myself in characters that aren't 27-year-old males running around. I, that's very uh, just boring to me. Um, but I mean, also, I wasn't writing a novel. I was making a film. You know what I mean? So there were people like Erica and Sam and people around that like were had been eighth-grade girls, and, and, the, and the creative input it, it, it was open to them at any point. Um, a good example is like it's not the one with Erica, but but but. Um, the little note that's given to Kennedy um, when she folds the note, I just had it as a folded letter, and then Erica brought over like this little folded football, and was like, I used to pass these in eighth grade, and it was just something that was so true and something that I hadn't thought of. Um, so, and those moments were happening everywhere at, at every decision from every department. Um, but also to leave a sort of empty space that could be filled by the actual kids in, in the particulars of the thing. Um, and also just, you know, I just tried to just humble myself to it and research it like it was, you know, like I was telling a story about World War II or something. And, and the good thing about this generation is if you want to research them, they are posting everything about themselves uh, all the time. You know what I mean? So it's like the information is uh, right there for you. But um, yeah, so that was the thing. Just listen and just, um, yeah, I, I wasn't trying to impose ever, anything on them. I was telling the kids every day, like, this movie's coming to you, not the other way around. You know, you know what it's like to be eighth graders right now. Because that, that's my disconnect from her. It's, it's twofold, really. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was never a 13-year-old girl, but I was never a 13-year-old girl right now. And both of those things lend themselves to a very specific experience that is unknowable. Um, so I wanted them to have some of that authorship. So I, I think a lot of the particulars were just, you know, probably spontaneous things that were happened and I just didn't mess up. You know, that's sort of my job, just like get out of the way. Hey. Um, so much like our first brother pair, actually, um, I just finished my last year of college, and I have a brother who's in fifth grade, and I'm constantly shocked by fifth, fifth grade. Yes, he's 11. Um, and I'm just always shocked by how different his childhood seems to be from mine, despite the fact that we're only 10 years apart. Mm. And um, I found it really interesting that in the film, you've even got this difference between the high schoolers and mm. the eighth grader who are saying, oh, you're so young, your life yeah. is so different. And I was just wondering, what do you think is going to be the lasting impact of this huge age gap, or huge generational gap that's really not an age gap? It's just something that's changed so quickly. Yeah, I don't know what the impact is. I mean, um, and again, like, I didn't want to make a film that, that was here's, pedagogical. There's a good college word. I didn't, want to be, I didn't want to be instructive. I didn't want to be, you know, people that speak with authority on the current moment, I find know nothing about the current moment. You know, if, if you actually get into the current moment, you, you, you realize that uh, it's very confusing and sort of intangible. And when, third, when your brother grows up to be a social scientist, I'll be very happy to hear what he has to say, truly. But until then, I feel like we should just kind of collect sort of emotional inventory of, of what's happening. Um, but yeah, what, what I think the lasting effect is going to be is something like smoking. You know what I mean? We're in 50 years, we'll be like, what were we doing? Why were we all doing that? And the equivalent of my doctor smoked will be my shrink was on Twitter. You know what I mean? But it's, it's a mess, you know what I mean, it's a mess. And I don't think the conversation is even being had on the correct terms. You know, we talk about internet, we talk about the internet nationally in terms of Russia, and there's a much subtler conversation to be had about it, you know what I mean, beyond Russia or cyberbullying. There's something very personal and interior that the internet, I think, does to people um, that is not okay. The, 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 the sort of impulse to see yourself as 
a commodity or a character to sort of float above yourself and watch your life and watch other people watch you and watch other people watch you watch them watch you. It's really disorienting and horrifying. And I was someone that had a little bit of a sense of myself before I was plunged into that. To grow up with it is insane. And you watch a baby with an iPad, these things are designed to appeal to you before you can even think. So it's uh, scary. So I just, you know, I don't know. Oh, do you use social media now? Yeah, I mean, I use social media as an observer more than like a user probably. Um, I'm addicted to the internet. I mean, this is not, I, I have these problems. I'm as deep in the internet as anybody. It's just, you know, it's like entire, <laughs> you know, sweeping decisions about the neurochemistry of an entire generation are being made by nine guys with no social skills in Silicon Valley, you know what I mean? <laughs> Truly, um, it really is, you know, you want to get the word shit on television, you got to go to Congress. You know what I mean? And nine guys can, five of them can raise their hand and completely change the way kids think about themselves. It's absolute mania. Um, and I don't know how to solve it. Um, women in tech will <laughs> help a little bit. Uh, hi there. Uh, so my question is about Elsie. Uh, um, Sorry, my heart's pumping. First of all, I want to say that I've been a fan of you since day one. Uh, my whole family thinks I'm gay was dropped when I was eight years old, like a week after I learned my sister was gay, and you've just been such a big influence in my life, and I love you and you're a hero. You know, you said, you said in your last show that you were trying to give people what you couldn't give yourself. In my case, I think you've done it, so... Anyway, um, yeah, my question about Elsie. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate thank it. You, thank you. Uh, so my question's about Elsie. So, like, obviously she added a lot to the role, really yeah. brought it to life. So did you write the role sort of exactly how it was portrayed, and then she came in and was perfect? Did you write the role for her? What, what, how much input did she have in it? Just t talk about that process. Yeah, um, well, appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Um, um, it, it, was, it is way more written than it appears, to her credit. I mean, people can watch and think it's improvised. It is not. You know, it is written like, um, yeah, so the thing about being yourself is, uh, wait, no, uh, I'm reading this off a piece of paper. You know, her performance is very technical and was reliable. It wasn't like we were making Homeward Bound and it was like, just be you and I'll make a movie, you know. <laughs> I, really, she, she is an actor and a performer. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I auditioned every 13-year-old actress on the planet, you know, every, and, and she was the only one. It was... And, and you'd meet these kids, and they'd be so alive and interesting and vivid, and they'd walk in, and there'd be a thousand things going on in their face. And then they'd do a scene, and they snap into this affected, um, what? Oh, oh, sorry. You know, and it's this really simplified version of themselves. And she was the only one that could maintain her chaos in, in, the, in the confines of a scene, which was just remarkable. And, and, and the first time she read it, it was like it was alive for the first time. I tested her like seven times, but it was never, I never saw anybody um, more than once. Um, and we did a lot of rehearsal, but that was really for me. It was more just like, if this doesn't sound right, it's the script's fault, and I'll change the script. Um, but yeah, more than authoring like specific words, she's authoring every moment. I mean, it, I do think the, mo the movie is meaningless without her, because um, it's about what she's not saying. It's about the thoughts between what she's saying. And, and I can't do that. I mean, I can, you know, write that, but when... So much of the performance is all of what's not being said and the thing happening behind her eyes. It's just, it was truly, I, I can't believe what she did. And, and, and the real thing was wanting to find an, I wanted it to feel like a shy person pretending to be confident. And every other actor felt like a confident person pretending to be shy. 
Um, and, and she felt like a shy person pretending to be confident and yet was strong enough to carry a production on her shoulders, which is just insane. So, you know, I, I don't know how she did it, but I, I feel incredibly lucky. It's the greatest thing about this movie that I got to work with her. Can I get someone in the back, maybe in the back? Yeah. Some people in the back. Uh, Nick, someone in the back? Yeah, some people. Okay, great, great, great. They're doing it. They're doing it. Hi. Usually when uh, people are making movies about transitional periods, specifically like transitional periods where you have a young person who's trying to find themselves, they usually start somewhere rather than end, like the start of high school rather than the end of eighth grade. And I just wanted to know, why did you choose that? That's a great question. I uh, never totally thought about that. Yeah, I... I, I um yeah, I don't really love the term, like, coming of age, because I'm like, I'm coming of age. It's just the age of 27, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, um, and sort of the resolution for the movie kind of is just, like, chill out and have some chicken nuggets and be a kid. Like, you know, it's cool. Like, you don't need to... Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, again, like, I didn't want to make a nostalgic movie, but I liked the idea of a eighth grader being nostalgic. I liked the idea of being 13 and being like, oh, look where I was and look where I'll be. You know, because it's so, because of course we look at all that time as just one thing, our youth. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, it was a, uh, that, that's a very, that, it's a terminus, that, that, that end of eighth grade is, uh, I, I don't, I, it's a great question. Good questions I have really bad answers for. Um, but yeah, it was also, yeah, it was just a week. I just wanted to do something very small in real time. Um, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, in, they're usually going to their first day of school, not their first day of their last week of school. Um, but I liked the idea that she was, we slowly sort of discover the reputation that she already has. And she's going to have one more chance to, to end it uh, or, or change it. So um, I'll have to think about that. Great question. Sorry for the answer. Um, so, I have a question about, so, uh, why did you feel like you needed to make a movie? Because I know you as, <laughs> I know you as a stand-up comic, and I love your work as a stand-up comic. Bro, I will say the pose really adds to this question. He's <laughs> <laughs> leaning against the wall smoking a cigarette. Why? <laughs> um, it's funny. Uh, no, I get it. Um, why did I need to make a movie? Why did I need to make a movie? I, uh, I don't know. I, um, I was tired. I, I did stand up for a long time, and um, I was tired of it. I was tired of my own face. I was tired of my, you know, expressing myself through myself. I loved acting my entire life. I mean, I loved doing theater my entire life, and I loved scene work and, um, I kind of slowly realized over my sort of short career that um, I think directing a movie would, would kind of wrestle all the things that I loved about what I was doing uh, together, which was, you know, I didn't love performing, but I loved conceiving the show and staging the show and working with the technical people. So um, that's why. Also, you know, to get that sweet, sweet indie film money. <laughs> I bought the Converse with those. All right, let's do two more questions. Nick and um, I'm really sorry if this sounds like such a generic and like dumb question, but uh, like what scene, like after it was filmed, edited, like written down, like you looked at it and you were like just really proud of it or like amazed by it? Like what scene were you like? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what scene what? 
Oh, I'm so I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just like really nervous right now. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. No, no, it's just that this thing's in front of me, so it's hard to oh, hear. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, what scene, like, after it was, like, written and filmed and edited, were you like, this is, like, my favorite scene. Like, I'm really proud of the work that was put into this. That, that's funny. What's, my what's fa your favorite what, scene? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, I like the movie. I like the whole movie, but, but um, and there are parts that change, you know what I mean? Like, Chicken Nuggets is the, definitely the favorite thing to watch with an audience or something, but um, the moment for me where it felt like, oh, this is what I was definitely going for, and this is what it, the, the part that still means, can mean a lot to me every time, is weirdly the, uh, is the karaoke scene, is her getting up and singing in front of people, just because it's such a tiny, it's such a tiny, stupid thing in theory, you know, but the whole point is can you make something so tiny and stupid, which is you got up and you sang karaoke at a birthday party, like, who gives a shit, but like, that it, it's so meaningful to her, and it's like the bravest thing she could ever do. Um, so th th that's when I felt, when that scene came together, I was like, I think it's starting to feel like how I want it to feel. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Last one. Hi, I really enjoyed um, your use of role models in the movie, specifically with Olivia or Olivia High School, um, but also the nuance that you took with that in both how she was able to kind of introduce her to really good feelings as well as by association of her friends, the bad feelings. Yeah. And so I was wondering if you could talk more to um, the use of role models in the movie, I think more notably your experience as a role model for a lot of younger people, um, but kind of, yeah, so both how your subjective view but then how we can kind of go forward in like social media and those who do have a sense of self can be a role model for those younger generations. Okay, um, great question. Um, uh, use of role models, yeah. Um, use of role models, yeah, I, I, yeah, Olivia just felt like someone that showed up and it was important to say that the world isn't against her. The world isn't perfectly conspiring to make her miserable. There are people that care about her. There is good to be had. And that is almost what makes life the most tragic, is that there actually is love out there to be had between people. Um, I don't know if I totally, I, I, I don't know what the line is between role model and just the way we're all responsible to each other in some way, um, or the way we're all responsible to people over which we have any sort of power, which that really is what Olivia has. She has an incredible amount of power over Kayla and in that moment uses it for good and realizes that this person is looking to me for a lot and I'm gonna give her something. Um, Riley doing the exact opposite. Um, yeah, as far as like what I, you know, I, 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 oh God, I, I really have no I, idea what, um, what, 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 the question was, what am I like a role model? I guess with one piece of advice, going forward, your experience being a role model, kind of what you've learned, what you put into the movie, could you speak to that or give a piece of advice as we leave today? How to be a role model or something? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know what I mean? Because like, I can picture... Role model is very close to celebrity, which is very close to like tyrant. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> truly, you know, you know, I'm not even being a joke. You know what I mean? Like, 
I do think it's important culturally that we start relating to each other as people and equals and not ideas of each other or archetypes, you know what I mean? And like role model, I don't even know what I'm saying, so I don't even know how you're applauding. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so that, that might be part of it. I mean, like when I felt the pressure to be a role model or whatever to people or, or, or younger people that, that, that related to me, the solution to me was to de-deify myself or, or to ground myself and not to see myself as this big metaphor for people because I, I think we're awash in metaphor and we're awash in archetypes and we're in awash in the idea of things. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Just be humble and I don't know. I mean, truly, the, the, the real truth is too, like, our role models should be fucking 50 and 60 years old. Like, that, that's actually the truth. Like, there's such, like, an a such ageism in this country that, like, I, a 27-year-old, is supposed to be fucking role model? Like, no. Like, it should be, like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg or whatever. Like, so, no, totally, like, um, so, let, 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 let 67-year-old uh, people speak with authority, and the rest of us should, I think, be just a little more humble uh, about it. So, yeah. That's my, that's my attempt. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody.